take your Bible, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. And I want to look at one of Paul the Apostle's prayer requests. And um, just as anything with the Apostle Paul, it's never... Um, it's much deeper than what might meet the eye. And uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I have a, a prayer request, it's, it's something that's very simple, um, and those are, those are fine. Um, but when Paul decides that he's going to make a prayer request, he, he just makes a doozy of a one. I'm just gonna, I don't know another way to say it. And um, I want to look at that tonight. And um, hopefully that we we can we all can can learn uh, something and be helped this week. I know many of us might be tired, especially those that have come back from the Navajo Nation and those of you who worked all day today. And uh, so I'm not going to keep you long. My prayer is that I'd be a help. And uh, last time we were together in this passage was back in November. Uh, we looked at the man Epaphras. In verse 7 and verse 8. And I want to pick up the reading in verse 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire, and this is his prayer request, we desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. And just after reading that, it's quite the prayer request. Much different than many of ours. And I kind of want to Divided up into three different parts. Look at the three different verses here. And as we look in verse 9, he begins, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray, pray for you. This is the second time he has said this. I believe um, in verse 3 he again says, Praying always for you and to desire. And then he begins to tell them what his prayer, what his desire is for this church. And uh, the first part of Paul's prayer request is that this church might be filled with the knowledge of His will. To be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, we are not going to take all of our time and and give a a long... uh, explanation and study on the will of God. Pastor has done that already. But um, it is worth uh, expounding upon uh, for just a little while about the will of God. Uh, I will say, first of all, that we are commanded to know God's will. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Many have uh, taken the phrase, the will of God, and many have become confused and made it out to be some mysterious thing that you can never know or never obtain, and that's just not true. God wants you to know His will. It is not some hidden mystery. 
He, he wants us to understand, and Paul's prayer request is that this church would know the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? Well, just like the Lord, He tells you. If you turn to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, I'll give you four things. There are many more than this. I just want to give you four things that are the will of God, and then we'll move on. John chapter 6, and we'll look at verse 40. Verse 40. Words of Jesus, And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Number one, I would say, what is the will of God? It is that everyone be saved. That is the will of God. Uh, The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that totally discounts the false doctrine of Calvinism uh, right there. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make. Is The point is that the will of God is for everyone to be saved and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no point to attempt to find out the specific will of God for your life if you haven't first uh, accomplished and understood the first, that, that first point of salvation. And if you haven't been saved, then that's the, that's the will of God for your life. Doesn't matter where you doesn't matter where you need to go, who you need to be in a relationship with, what kind of car you need to buy, a job, and that doesn't none of that matters. The will of God for your life, if you're not saved, is to be saved. And um, he is not willing that any should perish, but not only is that the will of God. In First Thessalonians chapter four and verse three, uh, the Bible says, "For this is the will of God." Isn't it amazing how the Bible just tells us what the will of God is? And yet, I, I find it so amazing that so many people can get confused about something that the Bible clearly says. But he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, to abstain, that you abstain from fornication. Number one, the will of God is for everyone to be saved. Number one, the will of God is for all the saved to be sanctified, to be clean, to be holy to be separated so that He can use us in the way He sees fit. The will of God is for the saved to be sanctified. I would all, I would, number three, uh, we find in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, is to, be, to present ourselves a sacrifice. That is the will of God. Uh, we find that in Romans chapter 12, 1 verse 2, to give your life back to Jesus. To live in such a way that your life is 100% completely for Him. That is the will of God. He has given us our life. He has given us our breath. And and what a wonderful thing. But He wants it back. He wants us to give it back. And we find that in Romans chapter 12. The will of God, number one, is for everyone to be saved. For the saved to be sanctified. And then for for the saved to be a sacrifice. And then turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll give you the last one for tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2. We find 
The will of God, one that no one wants to do. Verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Nobody likes that verse. I don't like that verse. Independent Baptist didn't like that verse in 2020. Every ordinance of man. That's what he said. Whether it be to the king as supreme, and he continues, verse 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, he does give us a, a, a token here that many of the ordinances may be foolish and may have been put into place by foolish men. He does give us that. But he still says that the will of God is for us to submit ourselves, to submit, to submit to authority, whether it be the pastor, whether it be your boss, whether it be in your home, the will of God is for us to be submitted and ultimately to His will, to His will. And Paul, his first item in this multifaceted prayer request is that he desired that the Colossian church would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you would, go back to Colossians chapter 1. That was verse 1, or verse 9, but our first verse. And then he continues. In verse 10, he begins to give the reason why he desired that this church would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Verse 10, "...that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God." You see, Paul recognized that it was not enough that they knew what the will of God was. He knew they needed to act upon it. What what does the Scripture say about knowledge? Knowledge puffeth up. Pride people don't like to do things. But Paul wants them not just to know the will of God. It It is, you need to know the will of God. You need to understand the will of God. But you need to do the will of God. And accomplish the will of God. It is not enough that a person who is lost and has never been born again knows that they're a sinner and knows that Jesus Christ can save them and knows they need Him as their Savior. But if they do nothing upon that which they know, then what profit is the knowledge? There is no profit. And it is not enough that we as a church know that uh, the will of God is for everyone to be saved and that no one to perish, that the will of God is for us to be sanctified and for us to give our lives back to the Lord and for us to be submitted to our authority. That is not enough just to know those things. We need to act upon those things which we may already know. And in verse 10, he says, The reason, the reason that I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will is verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. 
To be worthy means to be deserving or to merit. And I'll just go ahead and burst your bubble here that no one in this room is worthy of the Lord. We are all unworthy and the only thing that we deserve and the only thing that we merit is hell. I know we don't like to hear that, but that's what, we, that's what we're worthy of. is judgment from a righteous and holy God for the sins that we were born into. That's what we're worthy of. If you would, turn over to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Here we find a, a story of a centurion man. And in Luke chapter 7 and in verse 1... We find Jesus now, when He had ended all His sayings in the audience of the people, He entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto Him was sick and ready to die. And when He heard of Jesus, He sent unto Him the elders of the Jews, beseeching Him that He would come and heal His servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought Him instantly, saying, watch it, that He was worthy for whom He should do this. There was this centurion man, his, his son's sick, and everybody that knew this man thought that if anyone deserved uh, anything by Jesus to happen to him, if anyone deserved a miracle, if anyone deserved a touch of the Master, that this man was worthy. He was worthy. Keep in mind, this is a Roman. Continue reading. Why would they say He's worthy? For He loveth our nation, and He hath built us a synagogue. They say He is worthy because He loves the chosen people of God, and He's even built a a synagogue, a place of worship for the people of God. Continue reading. Then Jesus went with them, and when He was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to Him. Notice the centurion did not go to Jesus. The centurion sent friends to Jesus, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not, what does it say? Worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Everyone around this man thought that he was worthy, that he deserved, that he had done something that merited Jesus to do something in return. And this man didn't even go to Jesus. He sent his friends to him and said, Don't even come in my house. I am not worthy that you should even put your head underneath my roof. Verse 7, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not even worthy to see you. That was what this man... But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. This man knew he wasn't worthy. He knew. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. We'll say, then how can we walk worthy? I'm going to tell you. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. John says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Sounds like the same condition that we're all in. No man is worthy. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Look, I'm here to tell you tonight, nobody in here is worthy. The centurion wasn't worthy. You're not worthy. The only thing we're worthy of is hellfire. But thank God there was one who is worthy and His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. He is worthy. Well, Brother Benjamin, you still haven't solved my problem how I can walk worthy. He's got to be in you. He's got to be in you. Jesus has, can make you worthy through the blood of the Lamb. That we who are unworthy can be made worthy by His blood and by His sacrifice. No, we are not worthy. We are unworthy. Only He is worthy. But He can make us worthy. He can make us worthy if we've been born again. But we have to walk like it. We have to live like it. We have to live like it. So how do we do that? Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Go back to Colossians. How how can we walk worthy? Well, the Lord's got to be in me. I understand. He alone is worthy. Verse 10, Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord... Unto all pleasing. Number one, how you walk worthy of the Lord? You have to live to please Him. That is the purpose of your life. That is why we are here. That is why we have been created, is it not? That's Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. For thy pleasure we are and were created. We must live to please Him. But there are a couple things that we cannot do if we're going to please Him. What does the Bible say over in Hebrews chapter 11? So then without faith, you cannot please Him. I read over there in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God without faith, and you cannot please God with the flesh. And then I'll take you back over there to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. You cannot please God if you are woven into the fabric of the affairs of this life. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We cannot, we cannot please God 
if we are a tangled mess like everyone's extension cord in our garage, if that's our life, if, we're, if, if that's our life, how we're running around in, in circles and figure eights and just knots everywhere, if our, that's our life, it, all in this world, got to go to this doctor's appointment, and then got to go to this practice, and got to go to this, and got to do that. And then, I understand we got things to do, but if that's our life, there is no pleasing to the Lord. Because you cannot please Him if you are entangled with the affairs of this life. We must live to please Him if we're going to walk worthy. But number two, in our verse, he continues that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. I don't have time to run over it, but our second point here is to that we must not just live to please Him, we must labor to be fruitful If we go over there to John 15, there's that whole discourse on I am the vine, you are the branches. We are commanded to bear fruit. Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. We are to lay, if you want to walk worthy, Lord, you need some fruit on your tree. Fruit on your tree. Any of the, any of that fruit of the Spirit hanging off of you? Any, any joy over here? Any, any, any faith right here? Any fruit? That you might walk worthy. Labor to be fruitful. And then lastly in our verse, verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice how this is different than the phrasing in verse 9. In verse 9 it talked about the knowledge of His will. In verse 10 it's talking about the knowledge of God. Big difference. In other words, he wants them to know who God is, to learn about God, to know Him. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of what? Of who? Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To know Him. To know Him. Do you know the Lord? Do you know about Him? Do you know what He likes? Do you know what He dislikes? You know, I've learned this. If you're going to know somebody, really know somebody, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort. How much time have we, we, how much time have we spent this week trying to get to know the Lord a little better? Trying to grow in that grace and grow in that knowledge of the Lord. It's a necessary requirement if we're going to walk, if we're going to live worthy of the sacrifice that He has given to us. And Paul's prayer request to this church is that they would know, understand the knowledge of His will, that they might walk worthy. He wants these people to walk worthy of the Lord. To walk worthy of the Lord. Well, let's look at verse 11. This is really what I want to get to tonight. Verse 11, He continues, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. Wouldn't you say that in our society, in our culture, in the world that we live in, there's an obvious need for strength? Does it not? It seems like everywhere you turn, 
everything, everybody, every thought, process, philosophy. It's just weak. It's just weak. It feels like it seems like we just when I turn over here, I, I know I'm weak. I, I feel weak. It seems like there's weak homes. There's weak moms and dads, weak husbands, weak wives, weak churches, weak pastors, weak Christianity, weak leaders of any kind, weak government, just weakness. Everywhere. You know, in days gone by, this country was a place of strength. Walk down the street, you see a man, he was a man. He was strong. Looked inside of a home, there's a mom, she's a strong lady. She's a strong lady. Strong on her knees. She's strong. Strong leaders we used to have. We used to have strong churches. Strong Christians. It doesn't seem to be that way anymore. It seems like there's an obvious need for strength. You know, the Bible, Scripture talks about how we can be weak in the faith. And there's, there's that. People are unsure of what they believe now. Questions abound. People have weak consciences. The Bible talks about that. So what does that mean? The ability to be able to judge between right and wrong. It's weak. They don't have that ability anymore. What, has, what was wrong is now okay. And what is right is now wrong. Weak consciences. Weak consciences. Feeble-mindedness is rampant. Mental health crises everywhere. There's just weakness. Just weakness. There's a need for strength. And Paul's prayer is that they would be strengthened. If you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But there is hope. There is light at the end of this tunnel. Yes, there's an obvious need for strength that seems everywhere we turn. There is weakness and, and feebleness abounds in our lives, in our homes, in our churches. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 9, And He, that's Jesus, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Yes, there's an obvious need for strength, but we have to look at the origin of the strength itself. It is not in our own power to to help our own feeble minds. It's not within our own power to to help our, our spiritual weakness. That power rests in the one who can take the weakness and turn it into strength. Turn it into strength. The origin of strength. If you would, turn to Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. I love this passage of Scripture. It is often quoted... Isaiah chapter 40, where is this origin of strength? Isaiah chapter 40, and if you would start reading in verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, 
neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Where is the origin of the power that can turn my weakness into strength that is found in the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, who fainteth not and neither is weary? That's the origin of the strength. That's who we need to run to in our time of weakness. In our time of weakness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. His might. Not my might. His might. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, says that we are strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Brethren, that is the triune God working together to take your weakness into strength. He can take what is weak in your life and make it strong. Yes, there is an obvious need of strength. Weakness abounds. But we need to go to the one who can take that weakness and turn it into something strong. Turn it into something strong. Paul's prayer request is that they would be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. There's the obvious need for strength. There's the origin of strength. But let's look at the outcome of this strength. Back, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. The outcome. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering. Say, why, why, does Paul, why is Paul's prayer request that this church be strengthened? Why do we need Christians who are strong? Why do we need homes and families and moms and dads and teenagers who are strong in the faith and strong in their mind? Why do we need that? Paul says that they would be strong unto patience. Now, I find that very odd. Why would we need to be strong so that we can have patience? I looked in the dictionary today and I told pastor, I said, you know, you almost take that big dictionary and just set it up here and just it'll preach itself almost. But the definition of patience in the dictionary is suffering affliction with a calm, unruffled temper. I would not have written that as the definition of patience. It further goes on that patience is endurance without murmuring. If that is the definition, don't have any. That's why I need to be strong. In these coming days, we don't just need strong Christians, we need... Strong Christians that have patience. Adversity is coming your way. And you're going to have to suffer affliction with a calm, 
unruffled temper. And only a strong Christian is able to do that. Only a strong Christian will look at what the devil is using in their life and trying to beat them down and wear them down and take them out of the fight. And a strong Christian will stand there with a calm, unruffled temper and have patience. But he didn't just stop there. With patience and long-suffering. Long-suffering is just long patience. In, in, in Romania, when we translated the Bible, the word for patience is rabdare. And they don't have a word for long-suffering, so they, they made up a new word. And they said, in the lunga rabdare, which is very long patience. They're synonyms, long-suffering and patience. The idea of long-suffering is that you have patience for a very long time. Strong Christians have to have patience and long-suffering for the fight that's coming. For the fight. Don't we want our military to be able to endure for a long time and be strong for a long time? God wants His military the same way. He wants to be able to count on each one of you that in your fight, wherever it is, that you're going to have the patience for a long time because you have that strength. But just in perfect Paulina fashion, he doesn't stop there. As if all that were enough with joyfulness. That man knew what he was talking about. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 9 we already read it. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. He knew what he was talking about. I have to tell you, church... I haven't experienced that. I want to. I want God (laughs) to take the weakness that abounds in my life. And there is so much. There is so much weakness in every facet of life. I am so weak. I want him to take that weakness that abounds. And I don't know how he does it, but he can take that and make me a strong Christian. I want that. I want you to have that. I want us to have that with to be strong Christians with patience and with long-suffering for the fight that's coming down the road. And I want us to do it with joy. To do it with a smile on our face, in spite of the opposition, in spite of how bad it would hurt. Because it'll hurt. The devil hurts. Sin hurts. It hurts bad. But we can endure it together if we're strong with joy. 
What a prayer request. 